like Jesus. Amen. Genesis chapter 28. I want to read a couple of verses. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in this, this area of the Bible. Genesis 28. Verses 2 and 3 I want to read. Actually, I'll read verse 4 as well. Genesis chapter 28, verse 2. Say amen when you are there. Arise, go to Paden Aram, the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father. And take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that you may be a multitude of people and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your seed with you that you may inherit the land wherein you are a stranger which God gave unto Jacob, uh, to Abraham. Sorry. And Isaac sent away Jacob and he went to Padan Aram unto Laban son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. I want to talk to us a little bit this morning about this thought in Laban's land. In Laban's land. And as we study the life of Jacob, there's a lot of parallels that we can see in the Scripture that have implications on our life today. Amen. Praise the Lord. I've been fighting off a scratchy throat for the last two or three days, and I'm finding that I am very thirsty. I'm drinking so much water over the last few four days. Praise the Lord. Jacob needed to leave home because he was not married. His dad had kicked him out of the house and told him, you got to go get yourself a wife, boy. Time for some grandkids. Amen. So Jacob had left, and, and Isaac had told him that he wasn't to marry anyone local. He was not to marry a girl from, from where they were living at the time. It was in the land of the Canaanites. They did not follow the one true God, and they were very different culturally to what Isaac and what his father Abraham was. And so Isaac and Rebekah, they decided to send Jacob back to Rebekah's homeland, to get married. And it's interesting when you read in, in Genesis chapter 28 and verses 2 to 4 where we read, we can see that Jacob received a blessing from his father Isaac. And uh, that blessing included words of encouragement. That blessing included some details about the inheritance that was coming his way and and you know, Jacob knew that there was an inheritance coming. Because by the time his father Isaac had inherited what his grandfather Abraham had, they were a very wealthy family. So he knew there was an inheritance coming. And Isaac also gave him some prophetic words concerning the future. About being fruitful and about being a great nation. I'm here to tell somebody today that our father has blessed us as well. Can I get an amen this morning? He has blessed us with words of encouragement. Jeremiah chapter 29 
in verse 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Matthew 28 and verse 20, Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. And, and possibly one of my favorite scriptures in Romans chapter 8, a, a great word of encouragement from the Apostle Paul. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. David writes in the book of Psalms, he says, I have been young and now I am old. But I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God has given us a blessing of encouragement in his word. He has given us details of an inheritance that is coming. In John, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, John writes, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And of course, in John chapter 14, Jesus writes, He says, In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. We have been given encouragement in God's Word. We have been given details of the inheritance that is coming to the people of God for those who stand, for those who are willing to be faithful, for those who will not give up, and those who will not turn back. He also gives us prophetic words concerning the future. He writes in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew writes the words of Jesus when he says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That is a word of prophecy to the church. Amen. No weapon in Isaiah 54. We sing it in our song. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Psalm 61, through God we shall do valiantly. For he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Every time we look forward into the future as a church, we see victory. We see triumph. We see souls being saved. We see the battle being won because God has already spoken it. Amen. He has given us words of encouragement. He has given us the details of the inheritance that is to come. And he has spoken prophetic words about the state of his church. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. And then we read on. In the life of Jacob. If you skip down to verse 10, I want to, I want to read you something here. There's some great parallels here between our lives, our lives as Christians and the life of Jacob here. Look at this. And Jacob, verse 10 went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he lighted or came upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. Now, I don't know how light you have to be traveling to not take a pillow. 
But boy, he must have been traveling light. And he dreamed, verse 12, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and on the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord. I mean, man, this is, this is some kind of vision he's having here, the dream. The Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon you lie. To you will I give it and to your seed. Amen. And your seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with you and will keep you at all places where you go and will bring you again into this land, for I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Turn to your neighbor and go, wow. Now, Jacob here is the specialist in the blindingly obvious. When in the very next verse, he says, Jacob awoke out of his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. Yeah, no kidding, right? Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. You know, the problem is, let's read on. He was afraid. Can I tell someone today that is always the wrong response when you're in the presence of God? You don't have to be afraid. But Jacob was afraid. And he said, how dreadful is this place? There is none, this is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning, took the stones that he put for his pillow, and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the name of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. Everyone say Bethel. That's important. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. Here's the thing. I don't think anybody here in this room would say Jacob did not have an encounter with God. I mean, man, he's got a vision. He's got angels. He's got a ladder going up to heaven. And this prophecy that's been spoken over his life, the Almighty God, it said, I am the God of your father, the God of your grandfather, and I'm going to be with you. And here's Jacob's problem. He's more concerned about the environment than he is about the person who gave him the promise. He's concerned, well, this is God's house. This place is terrible. This place is fearful. I'm going to build an altar to this place. And he called it Bethel, which means the house of God. You see, Jacob had an encounter with the Lord, but he was more impressed by the location for him it was about the location. You see, there was an encounter, but there wasn't a relationship. The Lord was still the God of Abraham. He was still the God of Isaac. But He was not the God of Jacob yet. How many times when we come to church do we have an encounter with God? But my question for you today is, does it really change us? You know, we come in with our problems, but so often we leave with them as well. We come in with our attitudes, but we leave with them as well. We come in with our brokenness and we leave with it as well. We come in with our wounds and we leave with them as well. And we become more concerned about having an encounter 
than we are about having a relationship. I'm going to say that again. We get so tricked and so blindsided and we fall into the trap of of having an encounter with God. But so often we are not interested in a relationship with God. We just want God to meet us for today and sort today's issues out. And don't worry about tomorrow, God. I've got that sorted. Hello? We become more concerned about just an encounter with God than we are about our relationship. And, and the problem is, is that leaves us in Laban's land. Turn to your neighbor say, in Laban's land. Also known as Loserville. Because you lose out. You lose spiritually. You lose blessings. You lose peace. You lose the presence of God in your life every day when you are concerned primarily with an encounter and not a relationship. Flick over here now a, a, a few verses, a few chapters rather, to Genesis chapter 31. I'm going to read from verse 38. Jacob finds himself, despite the promises, despite the encounter, despite all the good things that his father had called over his life prophetically, he finds himself in Laban's land. He was only meant to go back there to get a wife and come home. But here we read in in Genesis 31 and in verse 38, Jacob is talking to his uncle Laban. He's saying, this 20 years. Because from where we started reading a few chapters ago to now, 20 long years have passed. This 20 years have I been with you. Your ewes and your she-goats have not cast their young, and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beasts, I bought it not unto thee. I bear the loss of it. My hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was in the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus have I been twenty years. Everyone say twenty years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times. This next verse is important. Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear or the reputation of my father Isaac had been with me, surely thou hadst sent me away empty. God has seen mine affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yesternight. Jacob spent the next 20 years working as a servant to Laban. For those of you who don't know the story, he arrived and he wanted to marry the younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban, you know, being the smart, cunning businessman that he obviously was, he said to Jacob, well, you can have her. And he said, well, I don't have any dowry. I don't have all the riches of my father with me to pay the bride price or to pay the dowry to be able to take your daughter as my wife. And he said, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You can work for me for seven years. 
and I'll give you my daughter. That'll be your dowry. And he worked for seven years. Wedding night came, and Laban, the sly old fox, pulled a swifty on Jacob and substituted the eldest daughter, Lear, which Jacob didn't love. And when Jacob called him out on it, he was like, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Our culture, our tradition says the eldest has to be married first. So, but if you work another seven years, you can have the other one as well. And so Jacob works for another seven years. And then another six years on top of that. Before he is finally feels like he's paid off his debt. To Laban, a slave. And, and while he was a slave, he, he tried to prosper himself. He tried to look after number one. You know, you, you read the stories. He would, he would get all the, when, when the sheep would come in to drink from the water, the Bible says that he would get, you know, he would get, um, let, me, let me go back a bit. He agreed with his uncle that his wages would be, if the sheep are pure, you can have them. If the sheep have spots or stripes, I'll have them. And he tried to artificially um, influence what was going on. So when all the sheep were born, they were born with spots and stripes. And he did it by putting like rods in front of the, the drinking troughs that had stripes cut in them. Because clearly he knew nothing about animal husbandry. Because that ain't going to work. Right? <laughs> And he was, trying to, he was trying to help himself. He, he carefully chose the strongest and the best animals for himself, and it worked. But not for the reasons that Jacob thought it worked. It worked because God was still honoring the promise that he had made to him. And God was still honoring the promise that he'd made to his father. But here is the thing. Let me read verse 42 to you again. Listen carefully. Except the God of my father, that's Isaac, and the God of Abraham, that's his grandfather, and the reputation or the fear of Isaac had been with me. Notice what's missing. The God of Jacob isn't there. You see, Jacob still did not have a relationship with God. He was still trading on the relationship of his grandfather, trading on the relationship of God with his father, and trading on the reputation of his father. But he was not yet there to be able to say, I have a relationship with God. And the problem is, is that when we are focused on just an encounter and not a relationship, we become slaves in a land without a real God. Hello? Why? Because we don't have a real relationship with God. We have a relationship with the house of God. We might have a relationship with the pastor. We might have a relationship with mom and dad who have a relationship with God. But we don't have our own relationship for ourselves. And the problem is, is we try and prosper ourselves. We try and think, well, if I can just read my Bible a little bit more, if I can just try and pray a little bit more, if I can just make sure I'm in God's house and, you know, don't change my life, God. Don't make me more like you because I'm, I'm happy where I am. But if I can just tick the church box. Hello? You know, and the problem is, is that is completely against what the Bible says. The Bible tells in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, the problem is, is so often when we are so concerned with an encounter and we are not concerned with a relationship, we look to everything else but God. 
to sort out our needs, to help us, to sustain us, to deliver us. Amen? Woo-wee. And the problem is, is that when we do that, our walk with, our, our, our Christian walk, it becomes drudgery. Because like slaves, we, we know what to do. We, we, we come into this place. We know how to clap our hands. We know how to lift our hands. We know how to sing the songs. We helpfully supply the words up there so we can sing them. We know how to jump up and down. And we know how to say amen at the right time. Amen. See what I mean? But the problem is, is that even though we might know what to do, we can be slaves because we don't have a relationship with the Lord. You know, and, and Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, you know, Jesus, Jesus says, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. That's slavery. That's drudgery. That's tradition. That's boring because there's no relationship there. And that was the problem. Jacob was trying to make it on his own. He was trying to walk in his own strength. But I preached it a few weeks ago. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Amen. We have to learn to build that relationship with God because it is that relationship that will sustain us. It is that relationship that will renew us. It is that relationship that will set us free. It is that relationship that will deliver us. Amen. We can't just have an encounter with God. We must have a relationship. Here's the solution. Genesis chapter 32. It's 20 years since his encounter with God. It's 20 years since he's been in Laban's land. And in Genesis chapter 32... I want to read from verse 24. Say amen when you're there. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. He put his leg out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, this is Jacob, I will not let you go except you bless me. And he said unto him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince has thou power with God and with man, and has prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, by thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob, get this, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And he passed over Penuel. The sun rose upon him and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore, let me read this last verse because it's kind of important. 
The children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. It is on this night, in the dark, perhaps halfway up a mountain, certainly away from the camp of his family and all of his animals and his servants, Jacob came face to face with God. Jacob went from knowing about God to knowing God. He went from hearing about God to being face to face with God. He went from listening to stories about God to literally living in a story with God. And God changed his name to Israel. And that encounter completely changed Jacob's life. Because from every day on for the rest of his life, he had a limp. Because he had been wrestling with the angel. Jacob went from just having an encounter with God to actually seeing God face to face and wrestling with him and getting to the answers and and finding out, can I tell someone today, we need to get in and wrestle with God sometimes. And the thing is, is when you have that relationship with God, it will change your life forever. And that is the great thing about God because I want God to change my life. I want God to have influence in my life. I want my life to be directed from God. And and God changed His name from Israel, which means Prince of God. He was Jacob. He was the deceiver, which is what Jacob means. The supplanter, which is what Jacob means. And God changed His name to Israel, which means a prince of God. Of God, he went from being a peon basically, a slave, to being a prince. He went from ritual, oh, I know this is what my father did and this is what my grandfather did, so I must have to do it as well. He went from ritual to relationship. And, and, and brothers and sisters, believe me this morning when I tell you, when we have a relationship with God, not just with the church. Not just with the pastor, not just with mom and dad who have a relationship with the church or with God. But when we, for ourselves, every man, woman, boy and girl under the sound of my voice, when we can have a relationship with God, we can stop being slaves to the mistakes that we have made. We can stop being slaves to sin. We can stop being slaves to regret. We can stop being slaves to fear. We can stop being slaves to shame. Amen. And we leave Laban's land when we truly turn our back on our old life. Galatians. Let's check this out. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. This is what happens when we change from just ritual to relationship, when we change from encounter to relationship. I am, verse 20, crucified 
with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. We can turn our lives around. Our lives can be changed forever. And, and, and don't, get, don't, don't, be, don't be under any illusion. A crucifixion will change your life. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting for a moment that anyone actually go out and do something like that. But what I am saying is spiritually, our lives need to die so we can become alive in Jesus Christ. Spiritually, our will needs to die so we can become alive in Jesus Christ. Spiritually, our plans, our desires, our purpose, our focus, it needs to die so we can be resurrected into new life, so we can follow what Jesus wants for our life. That's where the relationship starts, amen? 2 Corinthians, look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Maybe we'll get someone on the piano for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Paul writes, he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. And, you know, we read that and we, I think we skip over those words, passed away, right? We don't really stop to think what that means. You know, you, have you ever had that conversation with someone? You haven't seen them for a long time. You know, oh, how's your mom going? Oh, she passed away. It's not some fancy, nice little euphemism that Paul is using here. He's saying the old life, the old way, the old man, the old thoughts, the old habits, all of that is dead, buried, gone, finished. And I am a new creature, a new creation. Amen. And it's, it's when we do that, praise the Lord, we become children of God. It's when we do that, we have that relationship. And, and you, have you ever wondered why God says He's our Father? Because it's talking about relationship. You know, it's one of the reasons why I like calling one another brother and sister. Because it's talking about relationship. You know what I mean? And that's what God is wanting from each of us. That blows my mind. The God of all glory, the God who created the universe, the God who spoke the worlds into existence, the God who healed the sick, who cleansed the lepers, the God who holds the world in His hand, the God who paid a price for me, that God, He wants a relationship with little old me. I'm nobody special. I'm nobody important. Three generations from now, nobody's even going to know my name. There's not going to be some monument built to my name or to my memory or to my honor. Five generations from now, my family won't even know my name. I'll be, oh yeah, some grandfather somewhere in the tree. I don't know. But despite all of that, God will remember me. God wants a relationship with me. And He is the one that I want to please. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Why don't we all stand this morning? I'm going to finish up on this scripture. Take my yoke 
upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Doesn't that just sound like what the world needs? We're so busy. We're so stressed. We've got so much stuff going on. We've got plans. We've got dreams. But, but Jesus is saying, just, just rest. Just rest a little bit. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can I encourage someone today? Stop trying to make it on your own. Stop trying to do it by your own strength. You know, for 20 years, Jacob tried to do it by himself, but it wasn't until he had a relationship with God on that mountaintop that his life was changed. His name was changed and he became the person that God always intended him to be. Just try it. Work on that relationship. Develop that relationship with God. Seek to put God first in your life. And when you do, what you will find is, is you will sacrifice the rituals. You will sacrifice the traditions. And it's going to be replaced by a relationship. And, and when you lift your hands, it's not going to be because everybody else is. You're going to lift your hands because you're like, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I'm so glad I know you. Jesus, I've got a relationship with you. When you come down the front and pray, it's not a place of shame. It's a place of meeting. It's an opportunity to get in front of God and say, God, I'm here. I want to speak to you. I want to talk to you. You know, the Bible says in the Gospels, God has given us the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, I don't know about you, but nothing melts my heart more than why my little boy needs his daddy. And he says, Daddy, can you help me with this? He told me the other day, Daddy, you can fix anything. There's so many things I can't fix. But my daddy in heaven can. And when you could come to him and say, Daddy, can you fix this? I promise you he'll be able to fix it. I promise you he'll restore relationship. I promise you he'll create relationship. He's wanting it. He's calling it. As we sing a song right now, I want to open these altars. If you want to come and, and, and talk to the Lord and develop that relationship, maybe start a relationship with God this morning. Maybe get your relationship back on track with God. Maybe it's, maybe it's fallen behind a little bit or you, you haven't focused on it like you should. Or, or maybe there's other things that are crowding your life out and God is there saying, hey, I don't just want an encounter with you. I want a relationship. Let's sing a song together as we, as we pray. Let's lift our voice, lift our hands right now. Jesus.